0: This episode of Madcap is brought to you by Ann Pizza, voted DC's best pizza by Washington Post Express, creating a new, unique experience around people, places, and pizza, connecting a taste of the future with a feel for the familiar. Ann Pizza provides you with an energetic atmosphere where the interactive menu provides you with a personalized experience. Hey, even the vegan gets some love at Ann Pizza. No matter where you are in the DC area, trust you are near an Ann Pizza. Check out a menu and find your neighborhood locations online at annpizza.com. Let's dive into this episode. I'm Laura Gorman, by the way, a more recurring voice you're going to hear in this podcast, or whatever the hell this is. The beautifully voiced Texan who's about to infect your ears with his knowledge is Tim DeLaughter, formerly of Tripping Daisies and presently the frontman of Polyphonic Spree, a coral rock group with like 40 people in it. This interview with Dan, David, and Tim was recorded in the Dimly Lit Café of the Black Cat, a music venue in Washington, D.C. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound.
1: Open up the sky, this mess is getting high. It's windy and our family needs a ride. Now we'll be just fine When we learn to
2: So, welcome to the nation's capital. When's the last time you've been here, first and foremost?
1: Um, I think we were here, what, maybe six, eight months ago? Okay, okay. Performing at the same venue? No, this is the first time Polyphonic Spree's been here.
2: Okay, okay. uh, Have you ever, like, toured D.C. before? Oh, yeah. Polyphonic
1: Spree's been here, you know, probably six, seven times in the last 14 years. Okay, okay. But, you know, I've never played Black Cat. Although I think tripping Daisy did back in the day years ago okay so wait, so would you probably play like nine thirty club then yeah oh, definitely and and python series played nine thirty okay could you uh
2: what do you think about the i guess the the d c is there any difference in the d c crowd than um than than i guess another city
1: i mean when you get over here to the east coast we're from texas when you whenever you get over here it's kind of like all the same um it's uh, I don't know. They, they seem to really get into it. They sing a lot more, which is kind of crazy because you wouldn't think, you know, East Coast audiences would unfurl their, their vocal cords, but they do. And so I, uh, I, I quite enjoy the energy here in D.C. and, as, you know, just on the East Coast in general.
3: Uh, what about your band is distinctively Texan, if anything?
1: Uh, Probably my accent every now and then, it kind of comes out, along with everybody else's. I mean, everyone is from all over Texas, from Midland to Austin to Denton to Dallas.
3: Um, Does it feel to you more like a state or a country?
1: Oh, wow. It it definitely feels like a country sometimes, especially when you have knuckleheads running the place. Um, There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, Fool me once, shame on... Shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. You just feel like it's all, like, this is your world. And it is such a big state, you know? It's large.
3: It is. And uh, you want to talk about the background? Yeah, yeah, I want Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just really curious about your background. I mean it's cool to see a band that's so expansive in their thinking and their sound coming from a place like Dallas that has certain stereotypical notions associated with it. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious about your upbringing, what it was like to grow up, you know.
1: Well, um, let's see. I was an only child uh, for a while. Uh, My uh, parents were divorced when I was a young age, two years old, lived with my mom for a while, Um, apartment complexes, and uh, just kind of... Did that thing for a while. Found uh, music at an early age through getting sick. you get sick back then and go get a storybook record from the from the um, pharmacy, mm-hmm. like a Walt Disney storybook record, and I think that's kind of where it all started.
3: That's fascinating. So you remember that record?
1: Oh, I remember many of them. I still have them to this day.
3: That's cool. Yeah. Can you remember a song in particular that struck you? I mean... Wh- I'm thinking maybe I might have had this record or something. Uh,
1: well, it was, it was any number of uh, n- number of uh, Robin Hood, uh, <sighs> Cats. Um,
3: you didn't have to go any farther than Robin Hood. Yeah, it was just... Wasn't Roger Miller do yeah. that the whistle song? Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Uh, Robin Hood and Little John running through, through the, the forest. forest, laughing back and forth at what the other nest has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Ooh, ooh golly, lolly, ooh, lolly, golly, golly, what a day. Thank
3: you that. Clap. Christy, please, clap. <laughs> <laughs> that needs a bit yeah. of applause. So uh thank so you for that. Speaking yeah. of background, so
2: I I read you went to Duncanville High School. That's right. Home of the Panthers. Yeah. Yes, Home of the Panthers. Home of the Panthers. <laughs> we draw Yeah, we tried. We we had we had one of our interns call your uh your high school to, oh. to, to try to get some info. And really? She was like she was like just just say the colors. <laughs> say the school colors. So I guess during during the formative years, like uh what are sounds that like? I guess what? What's a song will you hear now on the road? You're the like, colors. huh? Oh, I forgot the colors. I moved on. <laughs> Actually, I no were no, no, no. red
1: and blue. I think. <laughs> we your notes. Like, <laughs> unless they changed them, it's Possibly. a massive school. It's like a small college. It's you know there were almost a thousand people in my graduating class. Really? Yeah. That's... Humongous school. I mean, so, but I think about mine. How,
3: how, Oh my! My graduating was about six to seven hundred. Yeah. So it's in the in the range. Where it's a
1: five A school. It's just really huge, big sports programs. So football was a big deal socially, oh, massively. Yeah.
3: That's interesting. How did you fit into all that? How did you contend <laughs> I with? Did that? Did
1: not fit into that. Right. It just that... didn't work for me.
3: So what's it like being an artistic soul? Amid... In, in
1: in Pumpkinville, yeah. it was rough. You know. <laughs> you know. I made the best of it. I had bands there. Um, I had a couple of. Uh, Back then, everyone did covers, so it was like heavy metal covers back at that time. Oh, Like who? Um, oh my gosh, Def Leppard, UFO, Judas Priest, um, Black Sabbath. Give just... us a song. What song
3: typifies that era for you? Oh my right gosh.
1: Oh, uh, heck. Um, gosh. Paranoid by Black Sabbath. That was kind of. That was a big one.
2: So, uh, I read that, first, that you started with the drums, and uh, Baskin-Robbins' little uh, buckets? is that, Yeah, is that, there, that was... Uh, what flavor? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't remember what
1: flavor it was, because they were just empty buckets, but I, I got the idea. Um, I wanted drums, and my parents weren't really ready to throw down for it, and um, so uh, I got the idea to go to Baskin-Robbins, get the buckets, and I painted them and bolted them together and, and made a drums out of that and then me and a friend started this was in elementary school it's just I'm fourth grade third fourth grade and so we we started a, a little band and wrote a song and yeah it was all what was, the, was the band's name we didn't have a name at that time it, Can was, you just, name it, now? it was just me and it was me <laughs> and dylan but the song was sing along with my tambourine <laughs> okay. i do remember that
3: was it based on like green tambourine
1: you know maybe it was subliminally because i mean yeah, and we ended up covering that later on in, in Tripping Daisy years years and years later. We did Lemon Piper's Green Tambourine. Hot but um, I don't know. what it, You know, I didn't actually write the song. It was Dylan, my friend, who actually wrote that song. I just played the buckets on it.
2: <laughs> the buckets on it. So uh, so how did your environment respond to your true interests, I guess, like music and...
1: You know, it was... Uh, it really... You know, it, it was fine. My uh, dad was a, a bit reserved about it, um, only because he had his sister who, you know, grew up in, his, in, the, in the music business. It was just such a hard life for her. And, and um, so I, I think he was skeptical because of that. But, um, you know, I, I kind of just kept doing it. I did it ever since I was a kid, and I kept doing it out of high school. And eventually my dad saw my band at that time, Tripping Daisy, on the front page of the Dallas Morning News, it was a big newspaper, and then he called me up. See, I hadn't told him I was doing Tripping Daisy at the time, and um, it was going really well. And he read about it, and he called me up. And goes, well, I guess it's working out for you. And he, from that point on, he was behind me, you know. So it took the being on the front page of the paper for him to like accept it. But he was cool, you know. He did get me a, a set of drums, and um, he was supportive, you know. But it was kind of difficult because of his sister. But that, that still must have been a powerful moment for you, though.
2: was in like.
1: Of course it was. I mean, you want you want that support. You want them to get behind you, and um, so yeah, it was. So, can you walk us through that first performance? Ooh, gosh, uh, that first performance. Well, this was a this was over a lot of performances to uh-huh. get to that point. But um, I think the first time we played as as Tripping Daisy you want to go back that far, mm-hmm. this was at a place called Dada in Dallas, which is there t- to this day. It was an open mic, and we just got up there and played, and it went from there. It just kind of took off.
3: So this is the high school band?
1: No, this wasn't a high school band. Okay. This was years after high mm-hmm. school, and this was like getting out and finding other people that played and getting away from my comfort zone back in Duncanville. I moved right after, right after high school. I moved to California and Stayed there for about a year, came back, and then moved to Colorado, came back, and then formed a band.
3: Interesting. Um, what? Okay, of any of those stops, what? which of them do you want to talk about, if any?
1: You know, I'd like to talk about Colorado, because that was the moment I decided that I wanted to... Uh really go for this mm-hmm. you know i was in my 20s early 20s and really kind of confused of what i exactly what i wanted to do i've been playing music my whole life but it was kind of like okay you have to start making money you've got to you know get, get responsible and do all these kinds of things so um how are and, you supporting yourself at 20 uh at the time i was uh, mowing yards i've okay. always kind of like been self-sufficient mowing yards handyman work that kind okay. of stuff my okay. dad was a kind of self-do-it kind of guy, and I kind of grew up the same way. Uh, okay. Learned a lot of things from him, and so I was able to take that and make money from it. But uh, we went and I moved to Colorado just on a whim, me and a friend, and we moved to Crested Butte, Colorado, and uh, where I, we worked on a ski resort, and I skied to work every day, and, uh, <laughs> which was a real drag. Sure. You know, being on the ski lift at 8 o'clock in the morning, it was, it's a really hard way to start your day. Wow. But it was, it was amazing. <laughs> but they had an open mic there, And I hadn't flirted, I haven't messed around with music now for probably about four years because I'm just hopping from place to place and trying to figure it out. But they had an open mic, and my friend played guitar, and I said, let's go do this thing. It was in the town center, and um, so we put our name on the list and went down there, and the place was packed because the whole community gets behind it. And we still didn't know what we were going to do, and I, and I said, just, let's just improvise this thing. You just play a few chords back and forth, and I'll just sing whatever comes over top of my head, and we'll just do this thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what we did. And we had messed around in the past before, you know, playing music and stuff, but it's always improvising. I really enjoyed doing that, and I, I find that it's, uh, um, for me, it's easier for me to do that than to sit down and write lyrics. So that's what we did. Went out there, had a spotlight, he's sitting on the stool with the guitar, and I'm just standing there, and he starts playing. I just close my eyes, and I start singing, and just, we finished the song, and the place erupted. It just went crazy. It was, uh, it was really great, and from that moment, I said, this is what I got to do. I got to go back to Dallas, put a band together, this is what I want, and that's what it did.
2: Yeah. Uh, I want to know, I mean, maybe you feel it every night and maybe just a few nights, but when was, when was like the last time you were on stage and like, you were instantly
1: reminded to that exact moment? Okay, I'll tell you um, one particular instance, and in, this was in Polyphonic Spree. It's our first time in, um, in London. We had been invited over by David Bowie to play his uh, Meltdown mm-hmm. Festival. <laughs> and... Half the people in the band had never been outside the state of Texas, never flown on an airplane. It was a big deal, much less going to London. And we're playing the Royal Festival Hall. It's a big, beautiful uh, venue, and we're playing with Divine Comedy. And it was, uh, it was overwhelming for us. I mean, we hadn't played out that much, and uh, all of a sudden we're here in London playing this show. So we're up there doing our thing, and right in the middle of... Um, we just finished a song and, and right in the middle of this, the, our show, the power goes completely dead on stage. Mm-hmm. Well, it was really awkward because um, we were all up there and we were feeling the pressures of like trying to knock this out. And all of a sudden, this is our big moment and the power goes dead. And it's just like, of all things, how could this happen? And the band's fidgeting in the background. I think some of the choir members are telling jokes and just getting just trying to do something to entertain or deal with the awkwardness of the moment and then i just kind of felt really confident and i said i'm just going to go into uh a song and i, I think it was uh diamonds mm-hmm. that's off of um together we're heavy and um and this song wasn't out yet but um i said i'm just going to go in this song acapella and then all you acoustical guys just start playing along with me they knew the song so I just shut my eyes and I started singing it. A lot and of good things happen when you shut your eyes. No <laughs> kidding. That's what you that's what you have to do. I mean, you tune it all out and you just there's not you got all these people staring at you and it's the the most awkward moment. Do you see
2: anything when you shut your eyes?
1: Yeah, I usually do sometimes. I usually see what I'm singing about and it just kinda okay. comes to me. But this song was already written and so it was a no brainer, but for me it was just tune everybody out so I could hold my shit together. <laughs> and uh so we do it, and right at the crescendo of it, when it breaks into this, the big chorus, the freaking power came on, and it just landed like a freaking earthquake. And it just, the whole place erupted. They got on their feet. We'd won them over. Because at that point, up until that point, they were just kind of taking this in. They weren't really, they were real reserves sitting down. And when that happened, they freaking lost it, and we won them. We spent the next three years over in UK because of that moment, and then everyone thought we did that stuff on purpose, and <laughs> yeah. we didn't. That's what I was just about the joke about some lighting guy being like, "I'm about to set this show up."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, totally. So, I mean, you answered my question because I was going to ask how long after that were you in London again?
1: Yeah, yeah so. r- right after that. Okay. You know, the irony, I mean, we were the, the whole experience of getting over there was unreal because we didn't have the money to get over there, so. There were so many labels that were interested in the band. They all pulled their money together. They all <laughs> wanted to sign the band, but they all went in on the expense to bring us over, which is really rare because they're all competing with each with each other. But they all contributed to get us over there. And then once it happened, it was just it was nuts, man. And, and that was your first time leaving the country. That was yours. Yeah, no, not my, not my first time. I've was... been over with Tripping Daisy. In okay, the okay. Past, was... But for the band. Definitely. How was that flight? <laughs> it was good. For them, it was kind of scary. You know, where some people had major anxiety, but they made it. I mean, we had. You know, my niece was in the band at the time, and she was 14 years old, 15, almost 15 years old.
2: I wanted to talk about like how you got your niece. Like, was that like a gradual? Like she was sitting around. She was like, you know, I want in on this. Or did you kind of just force her? In well,
1: <laughs> I went to putting the band together. I went to friends and family at mm-hmm. first because I didn't really know people. Um, in the symphonic world, I came from a rock, pop rock experimental side. I didn't, I, the good thing is I'm in Dallas and Denton is about 40 minutes away and North Texas is there, which is a huge music school. So there were a lot of, I mean, we have musicians all over the place. So, and I'd played Denton. I lived in Denton for a while, but I just didn't know these people. And, um, so at the beginning I was looking for whoever could help me out. It didn't matter. And, um, so I, pulled in some of my family members
3: uh, this is a really um rich i think moment in terms of like discussing your career yeah so uh tripping daisy mm-hmm. right that was going really well yeah and that band i mean can we talk about something serious here Sure. i mean i know we we read that you know that band mm-hmm. um sadly came to an end yeah when, you know your friend and, and bandmate wow. passed away yeah and so it just seemed profound to me that your response to this, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, is to surround yourself with wonderful souls and beautiful music to almost present yourself and the world with just a wall of beautiful humanity.
1: I, I, I had no idea. I my, That was not my intention. That's what people picked up on, the, on that. Um, my intention was to... Uh, if I'm going to get back in music, I want to do something I kind of always wanted to do, which, you know, I had thought about this band in Tripping Daisy because it'd be wishful thinking like when you're in recording, you'd like, I wish I had a flute here. I wish I had a harp coming in at this point. And that's what drove that band to become more and more experimental because we didn't have the instruments. We were trying to make these sounds up with either guitar effects or wiring things completely different or doing whatever we had to do to create this texture of sound that we didn't get from traditional rock instruments so it was there and it was something i would think about when tripping daisy was going on but when west died and i i said i'm not going to do this i'm not going to go get another guitar player and do tripping Daisy anymore i'm i'm done i can't and i was it was devastating he was my all of our good friend he was our friend man he's the really close guy and amazing human being and um Guy had so much more to offer, and uh, it was it just gutted us all.
2: Can I, can I ask did he, did he have a favorite Tripping Daisy song?
1: Did he? Um, he liked Raindrop, and he loved Tragiverse, too. <laughs> that come to mind.
3: Let's make sure we get his full name here. What's his full name?
1: Wes Berggren. Wesley Joseph Berggren. But we called him Wes. Okay, okay. But anyway, it was like, so when it was, you know, Tripping has gone, and he had been gone for almost a year, and it was like, I'm starting to play music again on my own. I'm starting to pick my guitar up. I'm playing on the piano. I'm start, starting to do things. And my wife tells um, Chris, our good friend Chris Penn, who's also our partner and our uh, record store. We have a record store in Dallas called Good Records, and um, she said Tim's starting to play music again. You know, we need to get him on a show. So he got it where I was opening for uh, Granddaddy and Bright Eyes in in uh, Dallas. That's no joke. Yeah, and he said, you, you, <laughs> "Come you, on, you've got two, you've got two weeks to put this band." And we were friends with the guy with Jason, the guys in, in uh, Granddaddy. So it was just you know, it, it was nice of them to to make that. Happened for us, but it gave me a deadline, and I thought, I'm gonna go for this. And and uh, so we did it, but it was an experiment. And I, I don't know, I'm gonna reflect back now and, and everyone's perception of, you know, he experienced this dark time, and then this is his response to all of that. I never thought of it like that. I merely thought of it as like, this is an experiment, but these topics that I'm singing about, there's a lot of things that happened. We lost Wes. My daughter was born, and then my wife's pregnant with my other son, and it's like I'm experiencing death with a close friend, and then I'm experiencing life at the same time, and I think just hmm. that mixed with my age um, really shaped my, uh, my lyrics and where I was going, but if you look at my lyrics, even from the beginning of Tripping Daisy, they're Pretty optimistic. I mean, there, it's a thread that's kind of common in all my music. And, I, you know, that could be going way back. I mean, I, I struggle like everyone kind of does, you know, with, with life. And I think that it's an outlet for me to aspire for, you know, for something that I know is more that's out there that, that can make me keep going to the next day. And so I found I find it in all of all of it, not just polyphonic spree. So to me, it's always been there. But I think it was accentuated with the birth of my kids, and coming from that is what kind of kick started it. I don't know. And then when you put that type of orchestration in music with those feelings, it almost gives this whole otherworldly feel to it, you know? And, and, and to me, it's like now you're really saying my words, you know? I'm really saying them.
3: And when you say otherworldly, the thought that I have is it's spiritual. Yeah. And your iconography on stage reflects that as well. Yeah. You're up there like the freakiest choir ever. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Looking like George Clinton's choir. (laughs) Exactly. It's fun. Yeah. So how do people react to that? I mean, do people act as if they're in a church, in your your church? You know, they
1: uh, people are in, I mean, yeah, we have a really good relationship with our fans. They really get into it. Um, It's so weird because that first record to me is so melancholy. But yeah, people thought it was such a happy record, you know? And to me, it was quite the opposite. But um, something about those shows, when you get up there with people and you're exchanging the energy back and forth and playing these songs, it becomes something completely different, you know?
3: And th- I mean, your, your group especially, it's, it's so unique to see so many people up there that before a note has been sung... To watch people sway, yeah. to watch people dance, like you become a part of
1: it. Yeah, I, I like for them to sing the songs more than anything. I think when when people like let go and sing, and just hear them their voice and really like don't give a shit who's around them or who hears them. To me, that's something that's really uh, I don't know kind of they open up in a way they don't normally do. So for me, I try to coax that out of people to to sing at the shows.
2: Let's talk. Uh... <laughs> If you, let's talk about the, if you can think of one, the worst show. And it didn't have to be your fault. Didn't no, necessarily have shit. to be your fault. where just like, everything you know, just went bad.
1: I, I've thought, oh man, I've had so many times that they've gone bad, but they always end up freaking great. Okay. Because, you, because you overcome and then you feel great that you over, overcame it. You know, when when I was younger in band in Tripping Daisy, if something were to go out, let's say the monitor would go out or something weird, the thing that would be where I could hear myself, let's say it would go out, because that happens quite a bit. You know, the younger me would flip out and let mm-hmm. it destroy the whole show, and it only comes through experience of like doing this night after night and realizing that does nobody any good for you to flip out. It's like hold your shit together and persevere and make it through and turn it into something and so i learned that earlier so polyphonic spree comes along when we're like hit with stuff left and right because we're so huge it's just there's so many so many options for mistakes and things to happen because there is so many people so my 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 advice to them is to persevere and just make it happen the best you can and so that's why at the end of the night I'm, I'm excited that we made it through, and it's awesome. But the three quarters way through it, it was hell, because some bad things happened. But you just make it through it.
3: So, what is it like to make music and bring music to people that really means something to them in their lives?
1: I don't, I don't know if it's a feeling that they get that they share with you know with you back and forth. Either it could be in a smile you're seeing on their face, or it's them singing, or just that connection of like you're. You can tell for sure. They're, you know, in a place that they're happy at that particular moment.
2: And they're that's open. A, they're, and they're
1: open, totally open, because that's another thing. You know, I've watched people come to Polyphonic Spree shows through the years, and, you know, it'd be like arms crossed and just like, yeah, <laughs> what do you have? And let's see what you got. And you, you call
2: them out, or is there yeah, no reason to do it?
1: No, I don't call them out. Oh, okay. I don't call, I just like to watch them unfold because I know, <laughs> I know it's going to happen, and it does. It usually happens 95% of the time.
3: But and the thing is, it might not be their fault. Something nope.
1: terrible might have, might have happened to them. But totally. You, but that is your job as the shaman. That's me. To come and open them. You, you, know, you, you
3: and your clan. You're that in, is in your, in your my. And your Greek chorus. Yeah,
1: it's my job to like make them break that off and like come aboard for just that hour and 30 minutes that you're with us. And then after that, you can go back to your miserable self. But for that, <laughs> for that hour and a half, I mean, take a break and like join us for a little bit without yeah. drinking any Kool-Aid. Do you ever feel like a preacher? No. <laughs> oh,
0: Peter,
3: Do you have any preachers in Peter, your family background? My
1: grandfather was a preacher. Afraid. Nailed it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jesus said, oh, Peter, oh yeah, don't be afraid. Don't oh, <laughs>
2: This is a question we asked uh, all of our guests. So we read somewhere that, um, that all right, in the in the Paris Review, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I, I'm not sure George Clemson wrote it, <laughs> but long story short is, you read that every great artist secretly performs for an audience of one, yeah. all right? And so who is the one person that, as you've evolved, that you constantly keep in your mind, that you still want to impress, like you were saying, uh, just as, or, or the, as you grow? Like, who's that one person that's you kind of all, all
1: right. Me, on. for sure. I think of, like, I look at people, and I'm looking at them, looking at me, and I'm looking at myself, going, "Are you doing? Are you doing the best that you can do? Are you nailing this? It's me."
3: Okay, okay. Do you have a favorite Polyphonic Spree song? Maybe one that means the most to you. Wow. Or the one that's most fun to perform.
1: I'll tell you what. I'm gonna. Ha- I'm going This is gonna sound cliche, but it's not. I mean, I'll give you good reasons behind it. Um, "Light and Day," which is probably our most famous song for mm-hmm. the Polyphonic Spree. Most people know us by that song. Um, I love that song because I almost abandoned that song um, at the very beginning. I wrote it with the rest of the songs for for that particular record, beginning stages of, but I thought that the tempo was too fast and upbeat for for the rest of the record. The record, like I told you, I thought it was melancholy, and that song seemed too happy and up, in my opinion, for that whole record. But my wife was so vehemently against the whole idea of, of uh, negating that song. I mean, it became a big issue between she and I because I was this close as going, that song is muted, it's not going to be on the record. It's like that close. And she goes, that song is going to go on the record, it's going to go on the record, and that's it. So... draw out was this argument. It was. it lasted probably lasted about a week and a half because we were you know in the studio we re- recorded it and you don't know what it turns out like until you finish recording it and put all this stuff together and you listen to your work as a whole. Then you go in and start mixing it and sequencing the record. And that's when it was like really bugging me. I just thought this song does not fit on this record. And the irony is, like I said, I thought that first record was melancholy and I thought that song was too happy. And then that song ends up coming up. And that song has like been the only reason people really know about this band. It was, it's was it been humongous for us. It sounds like your wife is a keeper. Day, day,
0: day.
1: I've kept her since uh, <laughs> 1984. We've been together since 84. <laughs> That's <laughs> the year you're born? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Prodigious year. <laughs> oh, my God. God, help! <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're You're here. Eighty re- four? Yeah, I mean,
2: but I'm here. I'm oh here. My I got here. <laughs> I got it. How old are you? Twenty nine. Next oh next week. God. Next week is 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 three zero. Really? Yeah, next yeah, week? yeah. This is not the time to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> next week. Happy <laughs> early <laughs> birthday. <laughs> next, yeah. What are we
1: gonna do? Huh? We'll talk about it later. Yeah. So October. Yeah, October. She and I. October we hooked up in eighty four. <laughs> How'd you meet? She walked in front of my car in high school, and I was like, oh my God, I love this girl. That was it. What was she wearing? She was wearing uh, shorts and a t-shirt. She was coming or going to some kind of cheerleading practice or, or volleyball or something. I can't.
3: Isn't that remember. awesome? You can take yourself right back to that. Oh yeah, right now. Yeah. She's got the cheerleaders. She's she's
1: are. everything. She's she's such a she's an equal part of this, guys. I mean, from the get go, she's uh, she's my partner. She's my best friend. She's the mother of my kids. She uh, runs this band. She has managed my career for er, forever. And um, yeah, she's a huge part of all Polyphonic Experience. What's her name? Julie Doyle. Big up, Julie. Yeah. Big
2: up. So what song, uh, to close this piece out, what song in
1: all the world would Julie like to close this piece out to? This is a ballad, and it's on this latest record called okay. Yes is True. It's called Battlefield. Battlefield. Yeah, it's the most intimate song I've ever put out there, and it's, it's she and I, so it's there.
2: All right. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure.
2: It feels like...
1: I
0: don't feel. Madcap is produced by Daniel Bloom, David Ross, famed Shapiro, and Juice Snatiki. Snatiki moves up in the world. Our intern is. Christy Newen. MadcapDC.org on Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC. What love
1: has left It seems like You're trying, trying to explain. Nice. 29, you're gonna be a 30 next week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't I oh spaced need- <laughs> on that. We have to f- plan something. good. <laughs> well, he's, he's more taking it back by my mic. My wow. <laughs> I'm just looking at you going, oh my god, this is you and I mean my wife and I. 29 years, I have really thought you're about it. <laughs> you're the physical manifestation. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realize You that. are. I mean, when you start, do you look at it it's like you, that, bro. it's like, oh, my God. I didn't ever even thought of it like that.
2: Well,
1: here I am. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Unbelievable. It's a, a, a great run, man. I mean, you don't think about the time, when time goes, I mean, when, you, yeah. when you're with it in a relationship, it's like, what kind of, when you go over, I guess, five or six years, and if, you, if you're built for the long haul, mm-hmm. which is... People have to know this. It's always going to be like this. And you just, if you can just maintain the, the craziness and, and ride it out, it's, it just keeps on going. You don't think about time anymore. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you said 84, I really didn't, I mean, I don't think about, we don't have an anniversary per se, because we've never gotten married, which is another weird thing. Right. We have four kids, but we've never been married. Yeah. We've, in common law, we, we, we say we're married. But we we've, we've went to go get married two different times, and the, and the, uh, the justice, the peace, and the, um, the uh, marriage license would lapse because we wait too long. This life is busy. We've always been busy since we've been together, and yeah. it just we haven't done it. So you don't ever think about the years that have gone by. So that's why, like when you said, God, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> I was born a poor Holy shit, he yeah. said not long ago. So your wife said
3: probably like that's him. that's him.
1: That's him. <laughs> that's <the guy>. Wow. Alright, <laughs> oh, cool. That was great.